Well, you know, if, if you were late to church this morning, I'm really sorry for you because you missed something extraordinary. There's a, a gathering of talent on stage that offered beautiful worship to Christ uh, in a really remarkable way. Uh, remarkable s- such that if, if you want to sneak back in at the beginning of the second service and catch that and then go to your adult class, uh, you'd probably be forgiven for that. But uh, that happens largely, plus you got to see Daniel Creswell standing on the piano bench in order to lead the entire team, which was a remarkable thing. Um, that, that kind of worship happens under Daniel's gifted leadership. Daniel served our church now for more than a decade, um, a dozen years or so, and we want to honor him this month for his leadership. And again, in the lobby, we've got a, a table out there with a place for you to leave a card, um, a token of your appreciation and expression for, of appreciation for his ministry to us now for more than a decade of faithful service to our church and um, deeply, deeply thankful for Daniel and for um, the ministry that he has here. So don't miss the opportunity to encourage him out there in the lobby, or if you see him, just give him a hug and uh, tell him. And it's somehow fitting that Daniel Creswell Month should be in December uh, in Advent as we approach Christmas as well. So, you know, some of you are... um, you're lovers of Christmas music, and you probably have uh, this album or albums from this series, right? There's a series of these that have come out over the years. Wow Christmas is the title of it, and they gather some of the top artists to sing uh, Christmas songs. Um, but when I think about that, when I think about wow Christmas, I'm not sure that's always the adjective that comes to mind to, to describe our Christmas season. Wow, you know, um, busy Christmas, maybe, family Christmas, probably, fun Christmas, possibly, but typically our Christmas celebrations are, are hardly titled wow. Uh, somehow Christmas has been domesticated to where the wow factor of what happened at Christmas is so moved to the periphery of, of our culture's celebration, and, and as a result, many of ours, that we've lost the wonder that is the incarnation of God. And uh, I ran across an article from, in a magazine, uh, the University Times, which is uh, one of Ireland's student newspapers or, or um, websites, and the editor is writing, explaining why she thinks that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. She's defending that. She says, Christmas, as corny and cheesy, as gluttonous and predictable as it can be, is perhaps the only time of year that the majority of society can come together on three core principles. These are um, this young college student's three core principles of Christmas. Um, a celebration to break up the cold winter months. They are in Ireland as an excuse for the whole extended family to come together and also the food. Let's not forget the food. And that's all they've got, right? A winter break, family, and food. Christmas has been domesticated to the point where it is, lives in the realm of myth and fun instead of awe and wonder. Uh, for many of us, the most wondrous thing about Christmas are Black Friday sales, okay? It's It's come to that. 
We've tried. The culture has tried to restore and cling to the wonder. Um, so like Chevy Chase, we deck out our house bigger and bigger and bigger. Santa now has powers, right? That whole he sees you, that, that creepy, he sees you when you're sleeping thing, and that naughty and nice list. Um, we're trying. But the best and most, most powerful restorative medicine for a loss of wonder at Christmas is, is this thing called the incarnation of God, where God came in the flesh, grasping the idea that Jesus was fully God and while maintaining the fullness of his deity, took on human flesh and became a baby at Christmas. A baby. God became a baby. Wrap your mind around that. And the good thing about this is, is not only is it mind-blowing, but it's pretty immune to commercialization, right? When was the last time Macy's had an incarnation sale? Okay. It, just, it just doesn't happen. It, it cannot be co-opted. There are no incarnation parades. Maybe, maybe there should be. Um, there are, to my knowledge, no incarnation recipes. It is, this is a kind of untainted source of wonder um, that's available to us as people who believe in Jesus the Christ. And to me, perhaps the most wonderful Wonderful with two L's, wonderful passage in the Bible is that of John chapter 1. And we want to look at that this morning and again next week. And I'm going to ask you to, to put your thinking caps on and let's think together deeply about what Christmas is centrally about and see if we can restore the wonder of it. Uh, together. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, and I'd like to pray for us as we look at it together. Father, have mercy on us now. Uh, let us see the wonder of the birth of your Son amongst us as one of us. Grant us that as your people now. Open our eyes to see and give us faith to believe. We pray in Christ's great name. Amen. I'd like, this morning we're going to look um, at portions of John 1 through 18, and I would like to read it to you in its entirety. Okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, Traditionally, at this point, when the scripture is read, if you're from churches that have more liturgy involved, I, as the reader of scripture, would say something like, the word of the Lord. And you would say in response, thanks be to God. I I love that ritual. It's a beautiful ritual. I'm going to tweak it a little bit this morning. I'm going to say, the word of the Lord. And you say, wow. Okay? All right? And, and I've got it on the screen in case you forget. This is your part. Okay? We've just read about the incarnation of God, the word of the Lord. There you go. All right. You're getting it. We'll get there. You know, the church fathers, um, two of them, Augustine and Chrysostom from long ago, they both held that what we just read was beyond the power of men to speak as John just did. These are the words, these are the words of God describing what is indescribable to us. This is wonderful stuff. And so we want to think about it together. Let's go back to that very first verse in what we just read. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is writing. This is from John's Gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? He is one of the 12 disciples, part of the inner circle of three amongst the disciples, referred to as the beloved disciple. John's very, very tight with Jesus. Okay? Um, Three times in this first verse, John refers to something, or better, someone who is called the Word. This whole discourse in the prologue of John, these first 18 verses, um, answers two central questions. It answers like a thousand questions, but there are two big ones that it answers. The first is, who is this one called the Word? What is he like? And secondly, why did he come? So today we're just going to answer the first of those, and next week we'll tend to the second one. Today we want to think about who is this one who is called the Word? Now, it's not much of a leap at the beginning of a book that's called The Gospel of Jesus Christ According to John that is a biography of Jesus, in a sense, um, to make the equation between the Word and none other than Jesus, the birthday boy at Christmas, okay? The Word, John intends us to understand that the Word 
is none other than Jesus. And down in verses 6 and 7, he makes it apparent this way. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not so much John the author, probably, but John the Baptist, whose testimony follows immediately this introduction to the Gospel of John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So, um, John the Baptist is a witness to the light who is the same as we read read in our passage as the word. And John, in just a few verses, identifies um, witnesses to Jesus this way. Whoa, something bad happened there. Sorry. In, in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is not the light. He's just a herald. He's a pointer. He's a witness to the light. Jesus is the light and life, the word of which John speaks to and which John the Baptist points us to. So in the first three words of this description of the word in John chapter 1, we read this, in the beginning. John is telling us something full of wonder here. In the beginning. So you might say, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of my book I'm writing? Is that what John's talking about? In the beginning of the New Testament? This is, this is one of the first books in the New Testament. Um, I think John is taking us way farther back. He's taking us way back okay, with these three words, in the beginning. In fact, if you have your Bible in your lap, I hope you do, flip to the very first verse in your Bible. Go all the way back to the beginning and look at the very first verse in the Bible. Or scroll there on your phone if need be. Um, what are the first three words In the Bible. In the beginning. John, I I believe, is taking us back to the very beginning. The beginning of the pages of our Bible. The beginning of the world. The beginning of time as we know it. And he says, In the beginning there, God created the heavens and the earth. He's referring to that back at the beginning of creation. So when he says, in the beginning was the word, when the world began, when time began, the word was. It's like saying in a way that this word has always been. He always was. He is eternal. He's saying that the baby born at Christmas had a prior existence, a forever prior existence. John is teaching us that Jesus is the eternal word of God. He has always been. Think about that. Can you get your brain around that? That the child who's born at Christmas has always been. When in the beginning, he was with God. Um, This leads to what he has to say next. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was 
with God. The word was with God right there at the beginning before anything was created. When only God existed, nothing had yet been created. The word was with God. And he says it again in the very next verse. He was in the beginning with God. Um, and it's been, been suggested that the idea here is a relational one, that the word was, some have rendered it very close to God. The word was in close fellowship with God. John will say in just a few minutes, he'll describe the relationship between the word and God as of the only son of the father. The word was with God. And we read, the word was God. So this raises the question. Many have raised it. How can the word be with God and be God at the same time? And this has been a derailing question for many. Um, Muslims don't buy it. Okay? They don't believe that it's humanly possible. And as long as the word humanly is in it, they're probably right. Okay. Jehovah Witnesses have chosen to render this, word, this verse differently. They would translate it in their special Bibles, the word was a God. Um, as, in a as a result, they believe that Jesus is something less than God. And as a result, their faith is something other than Christian. This is not the only time that John would attribute divinity to the Word, to Jesus, in his writings. In John chapter 10, Jesus says these words, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay. Again, in John chapter 5, he records for us, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so it seems best to understand here that John is saying something wonderful here, that the word was with God and was God at the same time. How could that be? And the answer to this question lies in the beautiful, delightful, mysterious doctrine of the Trinity that Christians believe that God, our God, is one God in three persons. The way we've articulated it in our church's belief statement is this. We believe that the Godhead exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one God and are worthy precisely of the same confidence, obedience, and worship. Okay. Um, this, is, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Okay. In John chapter 17, 
Jesus is talking with his father. We are listening to a conversation amongst the Trinity. And Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what was God doing before the world was made? He was loving his son. God the son, God the father, rather, was loving God the son. And we would say, and vice versa. Michael Reeves, in his outstanding book, Delighting in the Trinity, says, when Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world, he's saying that God, that's God revealed by Jesus Christ. Before God ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. So when, it, when John says that the word was with God and the word was God, he is teaching us that God was always, always in loving community. And this is different than Allah, the God of Muslims, who's a solitary God. Our God, the Christian God, has always existed in community as a father loving his son and back and the spirit as well. The word who would be born at Christmas as Jesus was with God and was God at the same time before the foundation of the world. This is a wonderful thing we must grasp. The word who would be born, Christ, he is God. Okay, John is teaching us. Thomas Aquinas, an ancient Christian philosopher, says that... Um, Four things are happening in these verses. First, John shows us when the Word was. In the beginning was the Word. Secondly, he shows us where he was. The Word was with God. And thirdly, what he was. The Word was God. And fourthly, in what way he was. He was in the beginning with God. So not only by this explicit declaration is John teaching us who the Word is, that the Word was God, but also by the attributes that John describes as belonging to this Word. What's this Word like? They are the marks of God, and, and really no other in this way. In the next verse, verse 3, John says, All things were made through this Word, through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This word who was in the beginning with God and was God, he made all things, okay? John wants us to make sure that we get the totality of it, so he says it twice, positively and then again negatively. He made everything, okay? Every rock, every grain of sand, every blade of grass, every star, every cloud, every atom, Nothing exists that he did not make. This word who would be born at Christmas as a babe, he made it all. All of it. Gene Fleming writes about a man. His name was Snowflake Bentley. 
Wilson was his first name. They called him Snowflake. He was a New England farmer born in the last century or so because um, he couldn't get enough of snowflakes. For 40 years, he ran around in the snow, raucously joyful, catching snowflakes on chilled slides and photographing them. Seeking to capture for others the beauty he saw in those one-of-a-kind masterpieces of frozen crystals. Over his lifetime, he photographed more than 5,000 individual snowflakes. Okay. And he would write notes on them. He would write things like this. Number 785 is so rarely beautiful. Okay. He, wrote, he would write about the feast of their beauty. Every snowflake fashioned by the one, the child, who was born at Christmas. Wow. You know, it's like, get your mind around this as best you can. Elihu had it right when he said in Job 37, God thunders wondrously with his voice. We could say with his words. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. Creation happens because of God's word. With his voice, with his word, he created them all, every snowflake, every one of them. Okay, wow. Verse 4 and 5, in him was life, in this word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, now the word here is seen as the author of life, the source of life and of light. And there are echoes of this. Um, it, it reminds us, again, takes you back to creation. Who made light? Who gave life? Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Down in verse 24 of that creation chapter, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. God said, let us make man in our image. Okay. Clearly, the imagery of life and light makes us think of God at work through his word, speaking creation into existence. But John may even have had more in mind. He, when he talks about life especially, and probably light as well, there are layers of meaning to what John has in mind. And he may have in mind a kind of, a kind of life, a quality of life. In his commentary on John, uh, Dale Bruner says, life is a key word throughout John's gospel and always signifies not just existence, but deep, meaningful life. Now, Wycliffe has done, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators translates the Bible into all kinds of languages, and some of you are familiar with the, with the language of Hawaii. It's called Pidgin, and that translation has been published as Da Jesus Book, and they translate this verse beautifully, and i told I read it with a bad Jamaican accent, so bear with me. Um, he the guy. If you like come alive for real, kind of, you come by him. Because that kind of life come from him, okay? That's what John's saying here. There's a kind of life. Do you need me to read that again? You can read it later. You can just think about it. There's a, there's a kind of life that only comes through the word. 
And that kind of life is a life that knows the Father. Okay. Jesus is the word, the source of life with God. This is, this is the work of God. This is not the work of men. If you skip down to verse 14 in your Bibles, we find another one of these pointers that this is, the word is not just part of creation. He was, he was God as well. In verse 14, it says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus showed his glory throughout his life by the miracles that he did. They were little glimpses of his divine glory that he had before the beginning of the world when he was with the father. John 17, Jesus is praying again. He says, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus had a divine glory before the world existed. The glory as, as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. These are the marks, not of a man, but of God. John is telling us in all of this mysterious before the world began kind of talk that the word was and is God. Another commentator on the book of John simply puts it this way. He says, the deeds and works of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, the book is blasphemous. Okay. John is telling us, he wants us to make sure we get it. The babe was God. And you don't want to miss the implications of that. Tim Keller helps us here. He says, I've heard people say, I'm checking out Christianity, but I also understand Christians can't do this, and the Bible says you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to love the poor. You're supposed to give up sex outside of marriage. I can't accept that. So people want to come to Christ with a list of conditions, he writes. He says, but the real question is this. Is there a God who is the source of all beauty and glory and life? And if knowing Christ will fill your life with his goodness and power and joy so that you would live with him in endless ages with his life increasing in you every day, if that's true, you wouldn't say things like, you mean I have to give up blank, like sex or something else? Let's say you have a friend, he says, who is dying of some terrible disease. So you take him to the doctor, and the doctor says, I have a remedy for you. If you just follow my advice, you'll be healed, and you will live a long and fruitful life. But there's only one problem. While you're taking my remedy, you can't eat chocolate. I see some of you have a quandary already, right? <laughs> now, what if your friend turned to you and said, forget it? No chocolate? What's the use of living? I'll follow the doctor's remedy, but I will also keep eating chocolate. And then Tim Keller says, and this is, this is what I want us to hear, if Christ is really God, then all the conditions are gone. To know Jesus Christ is to say, Lord, anywhere your will touches my life, anywhere your word speaks, I will say, Lord, I will obey. There are no conditions anymore. If he's really God, he can't just be a supplement. We have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to let you start a complete reordering of my life. Um, John wants us to know that this is God born at Christmas. And some of you may be wondering, 
I'm still stuck. How is it possible for God to become a human being? And our reply is simply this. God is quite competent. Okay? He can do this. He is God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was none other than Jesus. And this Word in the fullness of His divinity This is the other thing John wants us to know. He wants us to know the Word is God, and he wants us to know that the Word became flesh. Those famous words in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson renders it in the Message Bible, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. See, that'll put... That'll put your wow back in Christmas. Jesus moved into the hood. He could have been your neighbor. He could have been the reason that those little balloons were on the mailbox. The babe in the straw was fully God, and now the Word has become flesh. He is now fully man at the same time. John says it over and over. He's he's established the word as divine. He does not relinquish that. Instead, he says, now the divine has become flesh. He's put on human flesh. In love, he stoops low and comes among us. He says it in verse 9. Oops. He says, the true light, same as the word, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And in the very next verse, he says it again. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. He was in the world, even though he made the world. And in that one verse, he is both creator and entering the creation. Wow. Okay. I want you to listen how some of our best thinkers and writers have tried to capture the radical divide that has just been crossed when the creator entered his creation. Augustine said, our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. He has loved us that He so loved us that for our sake he was made man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in a wordless infancy. He, the word, without whom all human eloquence is mute." Theologian Sam Storm says the word became flesh, God became human, the invisible became visible, the untouchable became touchable, eternal life experienced temporal death, the transcendent one descended and drew near, the unlimited became limited, the infinite became finite, the immutable became mutable, the unbreakable became fragile, spirit became matter, eternity entered time, the independent became dependent, the almighty became weak, the loved became the hated, the exalted was humbled, glory was subjected to shame, fame 
turned into obscurity, from an inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief, from a throne to a cross, from a ruler to being ruled, from power to weakness. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, I saw him. I am an eyewitness. I am not making this up. He says it in more detail in another letter. John wrote other letters that are in the back end of your Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're short letters. And he says, that which was from the beginning, listen to the same language he uses, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Apostle Paul wrote about it. These are his famous words about it. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And, he found, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by dis- becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The writer of Hebrews wrote about it. He says in Hebrews 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, God himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This is wonderful stuff. This will restore the wow factor to your Christmas if you'll slow down enough to ponder it. Mary held God in her arms. Mary carried God in her womb. How can this be? God is competent. He can do this. Um, I don't, most of you don't know this yet, but uh, Steph and I are, in a sense, we are grandparents. We're about to become grandparents. Uh, our oldest daughter, Corey, is expecting, and this is the little guy, gal, right? Looks kind of like an alien right there. Um, so this is baby Enright, Corey Enright, our oldest daughter, and, uh, you know, we did not tell people for a while because, you know, at, you know how it is when someone's early in their pregnancy? Life is so fragile, right? It's so fragile. You don't know if it's going to make it, right? So we waited. Um, and her, her pregnancy's progressing beautifully, and so, so now everybody knows, right? Um, but this... 
if they'd had this technology, you could be looking at the image of God incarnate. Dale Bruner says, the visual picture is an, an immense V coming down and becoming a minute, measurable point, piercing our tiny time. In God's incarnation, in the human Jesus of Nazareth, the absolute became relative, the almighty a baby, the ancient of days, nowadays, the divine, human, the eternal, temporal, the immortal, mortal, the infinite, finite. Jesus was like that, the size of a peanut, a pinpoint. God in love entered our world. Think about that. Get your mind around that. Lucy Shaw is a remarkable poet, um, and she's written one that I try to read every year uh, this season. It's called Mary's Song. It goes like this. Blue homespun and the bend of my breast keep warm this small, hot, naked star fallen to my arms. Rest. You who have had so far to come. Now nearness satisfies the body of God sweetly. Quiet he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps his breath so slight it seems no breath at all. His breath once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed by doves' voices, the whisper of straw, he dreams. Hearing no music from his other spheres, breath, mouth, ears, eyes, he is curtailed. Who overflowed all skies is new. Now, native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended. I must see him torn. It's a wonderful thing. It is, it is the incarnation of God at Christmas. There is another, perhaps more wondrous thing in our passage. It's right in between these two truths that God, the Word is God, and the Word became flesh. Right in between, we read this in verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John says people rejected him. Sounds like most people, even his own people, refused to believe. They refused him. The single most wondrous gift ever given, they simply stamped return to sender. The single most amazing act of loving sacrifice they spurned. The single most humble, selfless choice was deemed inauthentic. This is a wonderful sorrow. 
And we sense it this season in our culture as the celebrations of Christmas soar and any mention of the incarnation of God in love as a babe is drowned out, pushed away from the center of it all to the very periphery, to the edge, a fringe thought, a lingering Christmas carol lyric. It's an unbelievable thought that ought to be rejected and replaced with the story of a jolly old elf and eight tiny reindeer. And many, many have. You know, it's interesting, I was looking at some statistics from the Pew Research Center, and uh, the older you are, the more likely you are to believe that Jesus is God. And those of you who are amongst the younger generation, the tide of our culture is, is wanting to sweep you away from the, the beautiful truth of the triune God that John is teaching us here. And more of your friends and classmates are being swept away than ever in our in our day. But, John says, the next verse, but to all who did receive him, there were some who would receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are some who believed, and they become God's children in an adoptive sense. Today, it's common to say, we're all God's children, meaning God made us all, and that's true. But in this special, by faith, adoptive sense, only those who believe are called God's children in this way. Only those who believe, we would connect it with what John is saying, that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and yet the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this morning, do you believe that Jesus is that Word and that He was God? He is God. And yet, He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Um, John writes again in 1 John 4, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay. This is how God loved us. That God sent his only son into the world. The word became flesh. So that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, how will you respond to this act of love? the sending of the Son of God into the world, that we might live truly and eternally live through Him. Let me encourage you this Christmas season. It's very busy. You should slow down. You should plan some time to read this and the other great passages in the Gospels of Jesus that tell the story of His birth. There are on our website Advent Guides that have daily readings that help you ponder the wonder of it all and are designed to help you, as John's whole gospel is designed to help you, believe that in the beginning the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. Okay. Let me pray for us and then we'll close with worship.